Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. You can also put your finger there and turn to Ephesians 5. We'll just read a couple of verses out of Ephesians 5, but then we'll be in 1 Corinthians 5 most of the night. What a blessing uh, sit up here and watch all the little ones leave to go to the, uh, I was just thinking that, and then Pastor Mitchell said something to me, and I'm like, I was just thinking that, you know, watching them. And then I also made the comment, as they're all going down to the children's classes, that it's been a long time since my little ones were little and left and going down there. Um, all right, these guys are armed and prepared, I forgot. So uh, there is a handout for the, the message tonight. If you didn't get one and there's enough, you can raise your hand. I know s- several people had gra- grabbed a... An outline, if you want one, you can, there's some fill in the blanks. It'll keep you awake. Uh, <laughs> um, there you go. So praise the Lord. And praise the Lord also for the song tonight. Isn't that a blessing? To have uh, other young people up here singing, using their voices for the Lord. So the lesson tonight, message tonight, is entitled, The Purity of the Church. Uh, a couple of years ago, about two years ago, right around this time, we had a series uh, in, on how the church operates. That was the series. Pastor Armacost taught a couple lessons. I caught, taught a couple lessons. And I was supposed to cut, touch on this subject, too. And then I know you would be really, really surprised to know that uh, one of my lessons kind of was extended and I had to, you know, do it in two nights. And then the time allotted for that was, uh, was done. And uh, anyway, I was just praying about what to, what to teach, preach on. I was thinking, I'd like to do something in the family. And then the, I had recently came across some notes I had taken for this. I hadn't fleshed it out. It was on a piece of paper, uh, kind of. Uh, it was on the back of one of these order of services. As I had all my little thoughts written down. So, and then I fleshed it out, and now we got seven pages of notes. So <laughs> we'll see how that all goes tonight. And uh, the message, the lesson, whatever you want to talk about, is re- it's on church discipline, talking about the purity of the church. And what a blessing. It's really nice to be able to cover a topic like this when you're not about to vote someone out of the church. <laughs> uh, I've had to actually do that. I mean, there was a situation in one of my churches where I had to deal with church discipline. Someone had to be dealt with publicly and... I figured, well, I better at least make sure the people know what we're doing. So I had to preach the whole thing. And then right after, it was like, okay, let's have a business meeting. Um, There's no business meeting that I know about. Uh, Anyway, so (laughs) let's, uh, let's begin here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 in verse number 1. And we'll get to that passage in Ephesians real quickly. The Bible says, we'll just read the first five verses. We'll work our way through the whole chapter eventually. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily... Uh, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you're gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a weighty topic, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you've put this in the scriptures so we um, know how to deal with sin. And truly, you want a pure church, and I pray that that's all of our desire and that you would help us work together. Lord, as a church, we should love one another and help one another and want the best for one another and, and not want uh, any harm to come to each other. So, Lord, as we walk through this passage, I pray that you'd be our teacher tonight and encourage us, Lord, because there is a positive about this as well. So, bless now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned in my prayer, the Lord wants a pure church, and that's the positive, isn't it? God loves his church. He wants a pure church, and if you're there in Ephesians 5, we'll get back here to um, 1 Corinthians 5, but partway through verse 25, it says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So now we're talking about the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, so the idea of cleansing, that's the idea he wants a pure church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is what God wants for his local church. Amen? So then, because he wants a pure church, it's not surprising that he would give us instructions on how to deal with sin in the church. Now, this chapter is, is, it provides an account of a man who committed gross sin, and he was not repentant, and uh, the church wasn't even bothered by what had happened in the, in, with this man. So Paul takes issue uh, uh, with how the situation was handled, and he provided some steps to take to rectify the problem. He wanted the church clean, cleaned up because God wanted it cleaned up, and it's inspired word of God. So this is not just man coming up with an idea. Here is a solution to a problem. And ultimately, it led to the man's removal from church membership. Obviously, this chapter is not going to teach everything that there is to know about church discipline, but it does contain some very important lessons. Uh, now, this is not one of those parts of church life that is enjoyable. Church discipline's not. But keeping the church pure keeps church life enjoyable. So... That's why we need to understand it, and that's why we need to make sure we want what God wants. He wants a pure church, and that we handle things the way God would want us to handle them. So let's get right into the message. Uh, number one, we see the depths of sin, the, the depths of sin. So the Bible does not teach that you vote every, every member out when they sin. If that was the case, we wouldn't have a membership. None of us would be here because we all sin. Okay, um, there are other steps to take uh, to restore an erring brother. And that's the whole idea. Just because someone does something wrong and you say, well, that was really bad, we, we hate you, we don't want you here, get out of here, that's not the attitude. 
And that's not the attitude here. Now, you might get to verse number five and say, sure, it looks like that's the attitude. That's not the attitude. We'll see that as we go along. So there are two factors which led to this man's removal. So the depths of sin. First of all, I see it was, a, it was, it was terrible sin. It was terrible sin. All right? It wasn't that the man failed to write his tithe check on time. Right, you know, the Bible talks about bring bring your your, your offering, your gifts to them the first day of the week, and oh, I forgot to do it this week, and he catches up and brings it back the next week. It's not like he did that. It's not like he temporarily lost his temper and 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 said something, you know, that he shouldn't have said. Like, you know, I can't stand you, which isn't good. But you don't vote someone out of the church for that, do you? Hope not. Uh, <laughs> What he did was he committed gross immorality. Uh, He had an improper relationship with his stepmother. Paul said there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. So his sin was actually worse than what the typical heathen would do. There are you know, you read the news headlines and you, we come across some pretty horrific things in the news, but not everybody out there does all of those things. And there are, there are some offenses that are pretty bad. And we should never think, well, that could never happen with a Christian. Well, if a Christian's backslidden, it could happen. And that's why we need to stay close to the Lord. Um, In verse 11, Paul also lists some other sins uh, that, if not repented of, are worthy of some form of church discipline. We see it down there. He says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. So, We're talking, there's a list of sins here that God says are worthy. People who commit these things and are not repentant, these people, at least we know, are worthy of church, some measure of church discipline. Okay? So it was terrible sin. So we see the depths of sin. And secondly here, we see uh, underneath us that it was tolerated sin. This is also what made it so bad. It was accepted. Notice there, um, it says in verse number one, it is um, reported commonly that there is fornication. What's the next two words? Among you. Now, that was startling because among you was who? It was the church. And so it reminds us the church is not exempt from sin. The guilty man showed no sign of repentance. And I think part of why he showed no sign of repentance is because the church did not condemn his sin. Okay? In verse 2, it mentions there, ye, and then continue, have not rather mourned. Okay? He says, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. He said, you should be mourning about this. There should be some sorrow. But there was no sorrow in the church about what had happened. Had uh, had they grieved over this sin as a body, then I think the man would have been, as Paul had said, taken away from among you. 
If they were grieved about the sin, they would have taken some kind of action. But the church was not upset with the sin. They accepted it like it was just okay. And uh, can I say this? That um, people take preaching against sin personally, don't they? Sometimes, and hey, admit it, sometimes when whoever's preaching is hitting your sin, you and I take it personally, don't we? It's not an attack on us. It's an attack, and it's a condemnation on sin. I have preached some pretty hot messages before, and people might say, well, he hates everybody. Um, no, I like people, so it doesn't come across it. No, I hate sin. And I hope at least that much comes out. Men of God should hate sin because God hates sin. And sin's not supposed to be tolerated. And what makes it even more difficult for uh, the preacher to get up and preach hard against sin is because he's a sinner too. <laughs> that, that makes it even more difficult. But notice also the phrase there, reported commonly. Everybody knew. Paul even knew about it, and he wasn't even there. Everybody knew. This was, this was a problem. And so when sin becomes common knowledge... It often has to be dealt with publicly. I'm just trying to go through the passage and point some things out, okay? Now, do we want to deal with things publicly? We don't want to deal with things publicly. Sometimes they have to. Now, however, let me say this. Just because you hear gossip about someone doesn't mean it's true and that someone has to pounce on it and deal with it publicly. Amen? And so someone can sit out there and say, well, they didn't bring this up. And because you think it's true doesn't mean it is true. And doesn't mean it has to be dealt with. Nor does it mean that church leaders are doing nothing about something that you may know about. Okay? Church leaders may be trying to work with someone behind the scenes, trying to restore them according to what Galatians chapter 6 teaches. Which are spiritual, right? Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Restore. That's the whole point. That's even the point of church discipline. So if someone will not take the necessary steps to repent... That may, however, though, eventually lead to their removal from membership. But that's not the first thing. You sinned. Well, let's get rid of you. That's not the first step. Here, let us give you some steps to help you repent. Now, what if someone doesn't take those steps? Is that a sign of repentance? Hmm. You want to see people taking the steps that are laid out before them, don't you? All right, so that's number one, the depths of sin. It was terrible sin. It was tolerated sin. So that's why this had to be dealt with the way it was. So let me give you number two, uh, the danger of sin. So 
as sin is bad for individuals, right, isn't it bad for all of us? So it is also harmful for churches. And let me give you a few thoughts about this. First of all, sin stains. Notice again the phrase, we already looked at it, reported commonly. What happens is a church's testimony is marred when scandalous activity becomes common knowledge and becomes accepted. Okay? It stains. Secondly, sin stiffens. And we see this from verse 2 there. He said, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned. So the lack of sorrow showed that their hearts were soft or hard? Hard. They had hardened their hearts. And hard hearts are usually also haughty hearts. They begin lifted up with pride. That's what he says, puffed up. Now, we were, we're not told why they were proud, why they were puffed up. Hopefully, they were not proud be, uh, of their tolerance of sin. Now, don't we have churches around that call themselves churches that, that actually pride themselves about being tolerant of sin? Hey, if you come to our church, you won't hear about these topics. We won't preach about you. We won't, we won't make you feel guilty. We always have a positive message. And so they're, they're actually proud of tolerating sin. I don't know, and I hope it wasn't that for this church. Possibly they had reacted proudly uh, when they were confronted about not dealing with sin. We don't know either way. But what we do know is either way people harden themselves against God and against his word when they tolerate sin. Now, we don't want a church that is comfortable with wickedness, do we? So, if you are comfortable with sin, this is not the church for you. If I am comfortable with sin, it's not the church for me. You wouldn't want anybody in leadership who's comfortable with sin. So sin, it stains. Sin stiffens because now it's a hard heart and they're not mourning. But also sin self-deceives. Look with me there in verse number six. It says, your glorying is not good. See, they, for some reason, thought they were fine. And Paul had interacted with them in some way and realized that they were glorying. Now, in essence, Paul was saying, you know, how can you boast like you're right with God when you're ignoring hideous sin? That, that, the idea of glorying is boasting. So they're glorying. He says, your glorying is not good. What on earth are you happy about? What, are you, what on earth are you to act? How can you act like you're a good Christian when you're letting all this wickedness get by? Sin self-deceives. We start thinking we're good, but we're not always as good as we think we are. <sighs> Then fourthly, we see that sin spreads. We find this also here in 
Verse number six, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Now, that was a question. It's a rhetorical question. Of course they knew what leaven does. They knew what a little bit of leaven does. And that's why he asked the question. And yeast is leaven. A little bit of yeast will permeate the whole lump of dough, and it makes that whole glob (laughs) start to rise, right? And leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin, and it spreads. If we let it, it'll spread throughout the whole church, and it, and, and, and it rises up in other members. You get a little bit of gossip over here, a little bit of whatever over here, and it's, you leave it alone. It's not dealt with. It's not preached against. It's not handled properly, whatever. And then it just starts permeating, and pretty soon everyone's that way. And then if everyone's that way, then why would you be upset? Because, and why would you be against it? Why, why wouldn't you tolerate it? You know, tolerance is the watchword of the day, isn't it? And people say, oh, you, you, you Christians, or that church, or that Bible, or whatever, is so intolerant. Actually, you, we, get the, we get that all backwards. We, we don't tolerate sin. We, we love people. And because we love people, and we love God's church, and the church is people, and we want a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, then we're, we really are loving. We're not hateful. And yeah, we, we, we've got we've to look at this. Okay? Leaven, being that picture of sin, it spreads through the church, and that is why sin has to be dealt with in, in the church. So it doesn't spread all over the place. Thirdly, we see the discipline of sin. Now, Paul uh, discusses in this passage what should happen, okay? So, first of all, we see the process. There are four things that were done. Um, The first of those four that he mentioned here is part of the process. It's found in verse number five. He says, to deliver such an one. So, I'll put it back in context, back in verse four. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, okay, so the church comes together to deal with this publicly, okay, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, we'll get to the second part of verse 5 later in the message, but the first part um, is what we want to tackle here, all right, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, I will admit that this is a tricky passage, okay? Have you ever read this and said, what on earth is this talking about? Uh, or maybe, you, maybe you've never read that, and the first time you ever saw it, it was like, whoa, we're supposed to kick people out so the devil can tear them up? All right. <laughs> that doesn't sound loving. Being delivered to Satan was a consequence of removing this guilty man from membership. Now remember... The man was unrepentant. He had sinned, a gross sin. He had not repented, partly because the church hadn't done anything about it, but also he just didn't repent. I mean, the church can do something about it, and he still not repent. So it goes back to him and his problem. He didn't repent. Had he repented, 
he could have avoided this altogether. All right, so we can't feel too bad for him. But I want to explain a little bit more. So he's removed from membership and says that he's delivered to Satan, and that's, as, that's the consequence. Can I say this? Losing the spiritual protection that's provided by the local church leaves people vulnerable to the devil's attacks. That's why it's important to be a member of a good, strong, local New Testament church. There is protection there. The Bible gives, um, gives the, the man of God uh, wisdom for the people of God. He gives counsel for them. He helps protect them spiritually. And if someone's not a member, they're not one of the sheep, then how does the pastor help that person? They're not one of the flock. He doesn't, he's not, not only not responsible, but he doesn't have that power. Not that he's looking for power, but he doesn't have that opportunity to do for them what needs to be done. And so when a person just says, I'm out of here, and takes off, and they're, they're not a part of a local church, they're missing some of that spiritual protection. And, and that can, and, and this isn't just a whole, I, gotta, I can get way off here, but the church gives us protection spiritually. We come, we, we hear Bible doctrine, we, we're challenged, we know how to handle things, and it protects us from um, unsound doctrine. And, and so it, it protects us in so many ways. And so here, this man is now vulnerable to Satan's attacks because he's outside of the protection of God's church. It, the whole idea of delivering him unto Satan seems harsh. But how does God deal with sin? How does God deal with sin when someone dies without without having Christ as their Savior. Is that harsh? We get the idea God hates sin. Okay? Uh, perhaps also it would be helpful to think in terms of um, allowing Satan to afflict this Christian in order to bring him to his senses <laughs> so that he would repent Okay, that would be restoration. And this actually seems consistent, you don't have to turn there, with the idea found in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Okay, put to death these things. Um, he says fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's very, it's interesting that that list is actually similar to the one that we read in chapter 5, verse 11 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, those other sins that should be dealt with, with candidates for being dealt with with, with um, church discipline. So anyway, mortify. Also think of it this way. Uh, think of putting someone out of membership as a corrective measure rather than a spiteful action. Okay, The reason someone's put out is so that they and I'm going to get to this if you, I'm coming back to 1 Corinthians 5. If you want to turn there to 1 Timothy 1.20, you can see it for yourself. But the idea of putting them out is so that they will, they're going to have some affliction. Yes, they're going to have some trouble. Yes, and hopefully 
they wake up and confess their sin to God and make things right with the Lord and make things right with the church and can be restored. So uh, it's, a, it's a corrective measure. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, it also uses the same terminology of delivering someone over to Satan. But this verse sheds a little bit more light as to why it's done. Okay? It says, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have de- delivered unto Satan. There's the idea. He says, why? That they may learn not to blaspheme. The key phrase here is that they may learn. That was the intent. They were delivered to the devil for correction, not obliteration. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, we're just going to kick them out and hope the devil tears them up and they just get destroyed. That's not the idea. The idea is that the the, the, the works of the flesh will be destroyed, will be mortified. Not the person. And so the whole spirit of church discipline, if it's done the wrong way, it's, it, it's hateful. We hate, you, you messed us up, you're hurting us, we want you out of here, and we hope you really pay for it. And if a church handles it that way, wow, that is so unbiblical. It's not even Christ-like, it's not Christian-like. And yet, if we don't have a proper understanding of what it is, it might end up that way sometimes and shouldn't. It should be to correct them for the purpose of restoring them. All right, so we, we're talking about the process. So I only got through the first one, and that was a little bit longer of them. Uh, so deliver. Second part is to purge out. This is another thing we find here in our text, something else that's involved in this whole idea of Uh, of the process of disciplining sin and sinful members. We find it in verse number seven. It says, purge out therefore the old leaven. Okay, we already talked about the leaven and the leaven's a whole lump, picture of sin. So what does he say? Purge out therefore the old leaven. The idea of purge out is to cleanse. To cleanse thoroughly, completely, get rid of it. So once again, we see that God wants a clean church. Is that bad or good? It's good. So is church discipline helpful or not helpful? It's helpful. It's a good thing. It's not a fun thing, but it's a good thing. Okay, and God wants a clean church, and that's accomplished when sin is removed. So you get rid of the leaven before it spreads and affects others. So if the church, here's a for instance, if the church tolerates fornication, what will more people in the church do? Commit fornication. If the church tolerates gossip, what will more people in the church do? Gossip. If if people, if the church does not deal with people who who are drunkards and they claim to be members of God's body and they're drunkards and the church tolerates that, What will more people become in the church? Drunkards. So God says, purge out the leaven so that it doesn't spread. This is what the Bible teaches. 
this, we're a local church. We believe the Bible. Amen? Okay, so we're supposed to um, deliver, purge out, and then thirdly, separate. There are some Christians that we should just not have close fellowship with. Did you know that? Just because they're saved doesn't mean they should be my best friend. All right, and some people say, well, I'm looking for a husband. I'm looking for a wife or whatever. And the, the only requirement, you know, the Bible says that they need to be saved. So as long as they're saved, it's okay. That's not all, that's not all that there is to it. That's the first part of it. But they have to not only just be saved, they've got to be good Christians. Anyway, let's continue. Um, so he said in verse number nine, I wrote unto you, you, who is you, the church, in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Well, that sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? He said, I already told you. Don't be hanging out with a bunch of fornicators. Because if you do, what are you going to become? Or what are you going to be more likely to do? Or whatever. So do you get the idea that God doesn't like fornication? I, I kind of see that. Then in verse number 10, he says, Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with the, or with the idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. You know, yes, there is separation. But you're going to go to work, and you're going to work with someone who's probably, or maybe, a fornicator, maybe a covetous person, maybe a drunkard. And if you had to separate from every, that type of every sinner in the world, then you just have to leave the world. And God's not saying that. He's not also saying that this verse justifies you going out and making them your best buddies. Well, yeah, they're that way. Well, you're not going to be their best buddy because they're not even saved. That is kind of a given there. <laughs> but then he gets to verse 11. He says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. With such an one, no, not to eat. So don't keep company with brothers who are candidates for church discipline. All right, so notice the types of sins included. We just kind of looked at those. And someone might say, yeah, but they're my friends. If they're not repentant, maybe they shouldn't be your close friends. Okay? Now, can you have contact with unsaved people who are guilty of some of those things? Yes, but what's your purpose? You're trying to do what? You're trying to win them. You're not fornicating and drinking with them to win them. So you're not participating. And if someone's a brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord... Can you talk to them if they're guilty of these things? Yes, but to what extent? You're trying to help them back to the Lord. Not just hang out with them like everything's okay. And because not everything's okay. Oh, okay. Now, you say, what if they repent? That's what we want, and that's a good thing. And when people repent, you know what we do? We forgive, we restore, 
okay? And if I have, uh, have enough time, which I don't know, we might briefly cover that part. All right, what's the last part here? Um, so the fourth thing. So third was separate. Number four would be put away. We find that there in verse number 13, about halfway through. It says, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That's pretty straightforward. He's going back to the very guilty guy, and he says, hey, put him away. That means to take away, to remove. People who won't repent of their sin, won't, and they, meaning they're not taking the steps to make things right with God and others, and they begin to affect other people, need to be removed from the church membership. Why? To protect the purity of the church and also to help them. All right, so kind of got into that already. Um, the next point, so letter A is the process if you have the outline. Letter B is the purpose. We're still talking about discipline of, the, of sin. God loves his church. He wants the best for his church. He wants to keep it pure. Uh, he looks out for the welfare of all the members. Okay, but it's just not fair to that one who did something wrong. He loves them, but he also loves the other people who doesn't, he doesn't want affected by them. So why do we take uh, the above listed actions of all of those things, separating, putting away, and all that? First of all, to protect the sinner. Okay, remember I said we're going to get to verse 5 again. So to deliver such an one unto, the, for the, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in, in the day of the Lord Jesus. The word save means to deliver, okay? It also has the idea of to be whole. So this is what kind of happens when someone is punished for their sin. They, they should repent. They mortify the deeds of their body, and thus they're whole and spiritually healthy once again. So it's, it's, for, it's to protect the sinner. That's why... They have to be put out of membership and turned over to the devil, so to speak. And remember, God always wants the best for his people. So not only is it then to protect that sinner, but it's also to preserve the saints. In verse number seven, that ye may be a new lump is a phrase there. That ye may be a new lump. God wants, uh, let me backtrack there. Uh, let's read it. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, for as ye are unleavened, Okay? Ye are unleavened. Who? The church. Why? For even as Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Christ, being Christ's body, and we're the body of Christ, right? It means that we are unleavened. So sin ruins that picture of the church being the body. So that's why when we bring leaven in and tolerate it and don't purge it out, we ruin the whole picture. And so to keep the whole picture that Christ is perfect and Christ is pure and Christ is holy, we need to work at our church being holy. So, by the way, it's not a matter of, you know, are you guilty of something that you should be voted out of the church for? We should all be asking, is there something in me that is hurting God's glorious church? And then we should all personally take care of those things so this can be a church that is without spot or wrinkle. All right. Uh, then, so we're preserving the saints. God wants a contaminated church to be a new lump, and that meaning one without sin. Now let me give you, last of all, thirdly, 
Uh, so we talked about the purpose. Now the last point is the pattern. Verses 12 and 13. For what have I to do to judge also uh, them also that are without, meaning outside of the church? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, I mean people outside the church, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So God has told us how sin should be dealt with. He judges the lost world, but he told the church to judge itself. Okay? The church is charged with judging the saints. We don't have an option. This is what he told us to do. And we have to do what he says. So when we have to exercise church discipline, which I hope we don't have to at any time in the near future, right? Uh, it's not because we hate people. It's because we love them and we love the church. And it shouldn't be done harshly because we love the people involved. The purpose is to restore the erring brother eventually, if they will, and to keep the church pure. Now, many people believe that the man who was removed from membership did, in fact, repent. And they believe, and I, I think it's highly valid, valid point that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 it actually talks about that man and it says um, part of that it says sufficient to a man, such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many that he was kicked out so that contrary wise ye ought rather to forgive him, him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with over much sorrow so if someone repents praise the Lord that's what you wanted in the first place you love them, you restore them, and you, you, you confirm your love to them, and you comfort them. Church discipline's not fun, but it's helpful for the church and the erring member. So I think what we need to do is determine to follow the Bible and do our best to keep the church pure as individuals. And when you catch wind of something, be careful what wind you just caught. Um, if you're in sin, deal with it so that the church doesn't have to deal with you, right? <laughs> but really, let's keep this a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Why? For the glory of God. All right? I think we'll have an invitation, but it's not a get right or get out invitation, that's not the idea. The idea is we should all be saying, Lord, is there anything in me that would put a spot on your church? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.